Welcome to Courage and Spice. This is the podcast for humans with self-doubt. I'll share evidence-based resources and teach you proven coaching tools to help you transcend your self-doubt. I'm Sass Petherick, a master coach and founder of the Self-Belief Coaching Academy. I'm so glad you're here. Let's do this. Okay, so we're at episode 97. Is that mad to anyone else that we've been listening to me talk about self-doubt for 97 episodes? <laughs> I'm kind of blown away by that. I still remember the very first episode that I re-recorded about 97 times just to get it slightly better than the last time. I'm really excited about the 100th episode. I think I'm going to do something along the lines of 10 things I've learned from all of this. I've had a few people contact me this year and say that they're thinking about starting a podcast and, you know, what microphone should they use and things like that. So maybe I'll put together something that's a bit more lesson-y about just doing stuff that is, is a bit brave and a bit out there. We will see if there's a question you have for me around things I've learned over the 100 episodes. Please DM me. I'd love to know. I can include it. Speaking of including you in these podcast episodes, I'm so thrilled to have had a few letters come in from listeners. And I just want to reiterate that if you would like me to respond to a question you have or a dilemma that you're facing, you can send over your question via the podcast page on my website, which is selfbelief.school. So www.selfbelief.school. And I'll just respond by creating an episode just for you. So um, please do just send in your questions, your challenges, your self-doubt queries, selfbelief.school podcast page. So over the last couple of weeks, I've had a couple of letters come in. They are loosely related. They're about self-doubt and decision making. Let me read them out to you and then we'll get into it. So the first one is from Rosie and she writes... How do I know the difference between self-doubt and something that is genuinely wrong for me? I started a master's last September, and if I'm honest, I've not been enjoying it. It's so far out of my comfort zone. It's not what I expected. It's much harder than I thought. And I found out last week that I failed my first assignment. My instinct is to withdraw or suspend my studies. How do I know if that's my self-doubt? A sense of not being capable that's speaking or if this is just genuinely wrong for me such a good question and secondly from Mel can you offer me anything to st- help stop me second guessing everything and just move forward by making decisions last year was horrendous and eroded the little confidence I have and now it's the end of January and I fear that this year will just be a repeat I'd really like some words that maybe can give me some hope to get through this. Thank you so much to both of you for trusting me with your questions. And I just want to reassure you both and anyone listening who is grappling a bit with a perhaps a specific decision like Rosie, or if you resonate with Mel's sort of general overthinking and second guessing, this is super understandable. I think decision making can be a bit catnippy for self-doubt. So I just really want to first offer that this is a completely understandable and normal experience. 
And I'd like to talk a little bit about why I think that is and how the cultural narratives sort of exacerbate this. And then I want to speak directly to your specific question, Rosie, and I'll also offer some suggestions for how we can all start to untangle our self-doubt from decision-making. I want to share with you a process that I really love and I use all the time. Let's just start by acknowledging the wider kind of cultural narrative that loves certainty. And I think what tends to happen because our culture loves certainty is that we all assume that if we don't know the answer, if we don't know how we feel about something at any given time, if we don't know what we want to do, we tend to judge ourselves. There is this insidious saying that I know you've all heard, it's either a hell yes or a hell no. And I think this is just a reflection of a culture that really, really likes to deny reality, right? And the reality is that our lives are complex and nuanced and messy and temporary. And there are so few things that we can be certain about. And I suspect that all of this is quite chaotic in our nervous systems. It feels inherently unsafe to all of us. And so this big quest for certainty is a very understandable way of us trying to find a level of safety, a level of control, a level of being able to kind of calm ourselves down and feel okay. But our whole world, when we look at it, is set up to try and combat this feeling of unsafety. So the majority of our families and schools and workplaces and communities follow a kind of hierarchical model where knowledge and decision-making power is held by a few people at the top. And this has a consequence of leaving us all feeling pretty unpracticed in trusting ourselves, right? We grow up in a world that encourages us to outsource our decision-making or to just do what other people do. We aren't shown how to value our own wisdom, how to be interested in our own opinions, and how to trust our ability to choose what's right for us. So I just want to really help people to see that if you find it really tricky to make decisions, if self-doubt's getting all tangled up in your decision-making, it's probably because, like so many of us, you've been cut off from your self-trust. Self-trust really helps us to deepen our relationship with our own intellect and intuition. We trust our own discernment. We know that whatever happens, you have your own back. Like that to me is what self-trust kind of looks like in action. And we cultivate it by making choices that reflect reality. So we make choices knowing that there is often no certainty. There's no guarantees. There's no real safety. But we can sink into the knowledge that because there is no wrong or right path, there's just the one we choose. And so whatever we decide, there are going to be opportunities to grow and to learn. And you're always going to have the option to change your mind. So what I have found from working with so many people around making decisions, around how their self-doubt gets in the way, is that most of the time, if we can create a little 
quiet place inside of ourselves, we know what we want. We do know what we want to choose. But the two main reasons why we don't kind of back ourselves or trust ourselves to make those choices is that we either are haunted by the ghosts of past decisions we regret or we worry about the consequences of our current choices. Mostly we worry about what other people will think. Sometimes that includes worrying about what we imagine our future self will think. So we don't want to make a decision now that we might regret later. But in both of these scenarios, we just need more self-trust, right? So if you just consider the ghosts of past decisions that you might regret, it could be as big as a marriage that went on for far too long, or an email that you sent three years ago that you still have some icky feelings about. But remember, self-doubt is always trying to protect us from risks. As our inner protector, self-doubt is really sensitive to what has caused us hurt in the past. So any of those ghosts are going to be haunting us when we're making decisions now. And one way to really make peace with this is to get clean for yourself that there have been no wrong decisions just the choices you made within a set of circumstances and the beliefs you were living at the time. You did the best you could with what you had. And I think finding a way to really forgive yourself for those regrets means that you're going to find it easier to make decisions now. And one of the easiest ways that I found to do this is to write a letter to your past self And find a way to forgive yourself for whatever that decision was that you regret. And usually the reason for the regret is that it had consequences that were unintended. So you can just write to yourself about what those turned out to be and find a way to let it go. I found that offering a letter to a kind of elemental force, water or fire, is just the best way to do that. And this can just help to free you from any reason why you're holding back from making a choice right now. It could be that you're writing half a dozen letters, right? But it's worth doing that just to kind of exhume those past choices that you regret, that you wish you'd done differently. Hey, did you know your self-doubt is not an amorphous cloud of woe and doom? How we experience and respond to self-doubt is really specific and quite personal. More importantly, your self-doubt also makes complete sense. After coaching with hundreds of people over the last decade, I found that there are patterns and themes that show there's always a damn good reason why self-doubt holds us back. And I've developed a model of the 12 different types of self-doubt. If you head over to selfbelief.school to take the archetypes quiz, you'll uncover your self-doubt archetype. I'll send you a beautiful ebook that reveals all the details, including five ways that you can start to interrupt the pattern of your self-doubt today. Selfbelief.school and click on take the archetypes quiz. I hope you enjoy it.
So Rosie, getting back to your question, should you remain on your master's course, the one you aren't really enjoying that feels a bit out of your comfort zone, it's not what you expected. And knowing that it's much harder than you imagined, you failed your first assignment, your question, is this your self-doubt or is this just wrong for you? And the truth is, I have no idea. (laughs) But the good news is, neither do you. And here's what I'm observing. You're doing something really brave and it's creating a lot of discomfort, perhaps much more than you imagined. And that makes complete sense. You're figuring this out as you go. I wonder what you are making this discomfort mean about your choice to enroll in this course. Because you could legitimately decide that this is all adding up to the conclusion that this program is not for you. It doesn't feel how you thought it would. Your expectations aren't being met. I'm sensing your disappointment that the reality isn't really lining up with your imagined idea of what this would be like. So you can absolutely come up with a reasoning to help you feel some peace around deferring or dropping out. That would be all good, right? You can totally decide, ah, this isn't really for me. The thing about choosing this is that you may be making the decision based on the discomfort that you're currently feeling. And so you'll never really know if this was actually about your capability, right? Now, it's a totally valid choice, right? I don't know what the right answer is, but I just want to reflect back to you that it's feeling uncomfortable and you're making that mean something's gone wrong. And equally, you could decide nothing has gone wrong. That actually you're a few months into something that is a big, hairy challenge And now is the perfect time to set yourself up for success, right? You could make this mean that, of course, this is outside of your comfort zone. Of course, you didn't know how it was going to go. You've not done this before. Who could possibly have predicted what this would be like for you, right? Now you're getting more of a sense of what's required. You know more about maybe some of the changes you'll need to make in your current life just to dedicate the time and energy to doing this. You might have found that, oh, actually, I really need to ask for some help and support to clear the space and time at home so I can study. You may need some specific help around your actual course, right? If there are aspects of it that feel really uncertain or a bit kind of unclear to you. I know for me, it was always about the stats, right? The statistics part of any kind of research just threw me. So I needed to get some tutoring in that. None of this means anything has gone wrong. None of it. If you decide that that's how you want to see it, right? That's the perspective you want to take. You may need some support to help manage your own expectations of what good looks like. But I'm just thinking about some more helpful beliefs that you could practice. Things like, I'm learning how to be a master's student. I can ask for help. I'm so well supported. My dream is worthy of my time and attention. Right, and you just keep practicing these beliefs. Something else that's just occurring to me now, and I don't know if this is true for you, but I just wanted to share this. I'm not suggesting it's what you're doing, but I want to share the difference between what I call preemptive failure and clean failure and just see if this resonates, 
right? Because sometimes I think we protect ourselves a bit unconsciously from failing by preempting it. So what I mean by clean failure is that you throw everything at it and you still don't succeed, right? You give yourself the very best chance of success and it doesn't quite land. So if you think about, for example, like the strictly Dancing with the Stars on Ice contestants, you know the one, Saturday night, British time, it's like the whole country's tuned in to celebrities learning how to dance. They've never done this before. They're dancing a whole routine every week in front of millions of people, so bloody demanding and complex. And let's say they go to every single training session, follow their macro diet and practice their asses off. And on the night, they don't make the cut. Now, to me, that is clean failure. And I call it that because there is something emotionally clean about it. I did everything I could and it just wasn't enough. And the thing about clean failure is there's often very little self-judgment or criticism or regret with that approach. But sometimes we can unconsciously protect ourselves from failure by muddying it up with what I call preemptive failure, where we decide we won't be able to tolerate the discomfort we imagine we'll feel when we do fail. So we fail preemptively. So we'll do things that actually make us less likely to succeed, like for the dancing with the stars people, they'll maybe skip practice or do the bare minimum when they're there, not quite following the nutrition strategy, always giving themselves an out, right? It's actually a really sophisticated form of self-doubt, but what it means is we can attribute our failure to some external reasoning rather than risk giving it your all and finding you still fall short. So often with preemptive failure, we know that we didn't really push ourselves. So it has this odd benefit of feeling like we're preserving our sense of self, but we're still failing, right? And the thing about preemptive failure is that we know the truth. This is the thing, as a self-belief coach that's lovingly detached from you and any choice you make, I would offer that clean failure is the best way to fail at anything. You have no idea what you're capable of if you fail preemptively. Now, my sense, my take on this is that you are in the process of adjusting to life as a master's student and you couldn't possibly have foreseen how this was going to go because you've never done it before. So you're just adapting to this challenge. You're figuring it out. And it would just be a real shame if you decided to fail preemptively by opting out because the discomfort feels too much. Deferring could be a great third option. And I would say if you choose to do that, use the time really wisely. Like think about what you need to create the best chance of success in the future. Like what would be different next time? Right? Well, how could you set yourself up to have a clean fail? If you're going to fail at all, right? The thing about a clean fail is that most people don't actually fail because there are very few things that are this competition. Most things, we just keep going. And if you throw yourself at it, 
it's highly unlikely that you will fail. But look, as I mentioned earlier, when we're finding ourselves unable to make decisions or we're second guessing ourselves, when we believe we don't know what to do, what's actually happening in these scenarios is that we're just cut off from self-trust. And cultivating self-trust is a skill we can develop. It's a resource we can grow our capacity in. And it means we get to trust ourselves, our own wisdom, our own intuition and our intellect. We get really good at practicing discernment. So one of the fastest ways to cultivate self-trust is to throw yourself at a goal and really put your all into it. Self-trust helps us to question our thoughts and beliefs and become really interested in our own opinions and preferences so that we can keep making choices that feel supportive and aligned to who we are. Personally, I think self-trust is an incredibly powerful resource because when we grow this capacity, we start to see that we can have our own back no matter what. We don't have to wait until we know more. We don't have to wait for the approval of other people. We can just keep making choices based on what we know right now, even with all the uncertainty. And in the self-belief coaching model, I characterize self-trust as the archetype of the sage. So in fairy tales and myths, the sage is often depicted as a kind of wise old crone, sometimes a witch, who lives slightly outside of the community. So she's on the edge, living by her own rules. And this is quite helpful imagery because the sage is quite dispassionate and unattached and really without any morality. This is important when the truth is that you as an adult can actually choose to do pretty much anything you want. We have ultimate free will and it's super helpful to play with those choices before you take any action. So I just really want to offer for anyone who feels a bit unable to make a decision, the best thing you can do is take in the widest perspective you can imagine. It's like step back from everything and see all the options you have without judging any of them. So I wanted to share with with all of you, and especially for Mal and Rosie, a decision-making process that I use. And it's just like a, a container for a decision. So this can be super creative. I like to do this on a big sheet of A3 paper with colored pens and post-it notes and all that jazz. And I'll begin by framing the decision as a question, right? So it could be like, why is this friendship so difficult? How do I get myself out of debt? Should I go to grad school? How do I get comfortable with being more visible, right? It's a kind of open question. And we just want to have a focus for the process. So this goes at the very center of your page. So you want to frame your decision as an open question. Just notice if you're tempted to say, is it this or that, right? It's actually more about what's underneath the options. And then you just get to put some music on and write down anything that's coming to mind about this particular question, right? You're likely to have lots of different and conflicting stories going on in your mind about maybe how the issue took shape, some about the possible solution, 
other people's opinions, memories of similar situations. It's all super useful. So just get all of them out. Any thoughts you have about this particular question, you want to get everything out onto the page. So I like to just jot down bullet points. That's easy for me. And sometimes I do it in different colors. Um, But the idea is to just fill up the page. And when you have all of your thoughts and stories down, usually that takes me about 10 minutes. I'll just step back and have a little look at what I'm seeing. Because this page is now a container that's holding all the options and all the answers to my possible decision. And what I'll do is just read through everything I've written to see if anything's missing, to see if there's anything that I need to add in or expand on. Sometimes what I'll do is notice if these voices or opinions or options remind me of someone else, like maybe they belong to another person or even to younger parts of me. And this is a great process to go through with a coach and the self-belief coaches on self-belief coach match could absolutely work with you on this in one of our velocity sessions, which is a 90 minute session, perfect to get to a place where you feel really equipped to making a good decision. And sometimes I think we just need other people to help us see wider options, right? To maybe coax out some of the options or voices that feel a bit uncomfortable Things like, I could just leave everything behind, right? Like actually take into account that lack of morality. There's no right or wrong. They're all just options. And it can be really helpful to bring in the worst thing or the thing I would never do, just to recognize that you have this as a choice. So once I have everything on a page, I can then see where is my energy pointing me? What do I actually want to do, right? And that's when I will usually reach out to my own coach or someone that can support me to come to terms with, okay, this is actually what I want to do. And then we'll work through, okay, what are the things I'm worried about in terms of the consequences of my choice? Because there are no guarantees and there is no 100% safe option. But when we've got high self-trust, We can trust that whatever you choose, you are probably going to be able to figure out all the consequences of that choice because you always have. Okay, lovely people, go forth, forgive yourselves, make some choices, play with the options, be brave. I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. if you're ready to explore more about your self-doubt I want to invite you to take the self-doubt archetypes quiz it's totally free and you'll uncover your particular flavor of self-doubt it turns out self-doubt is not this amorphous cloud of woe there are 12 different types of self-doubt and finding out yours is the first step to getting a handle on it Just head over to www.sasspetherick.com backslash archetype for all the details.